Mark your calendars! The ADCES 24 Annual Conference parades into New Orleans August 9-12, through 12, 2024. Registration opens March 26, but you can start planning your trip now. Get ready to seize opportunities to connect, learn, and optimize your diabetes care and education practice. Stay tuned for updates at adces24.org. Hello, and welcome to the ADCES podcast, The Huddle, conversations with the diabetes care team. In each episode, we speak with guests from across the diabetes care space to bring you perspectives, issues, and updates that elevate your role, inform your practice, and ignite your passion. I'm your host, Kirsten Yale, the Research Manager at the Association of Diabetes Care and Education Specialists. Despite advances in technology and care, minorities with diabetes, prediabetes, and cardiometabolic conditions are disproportionately affected by morbidity and mortality compared to their white counterparts. Despite advances in technology and care, minorities with diabetes, prediabetes, and cardiometabolic conditions are disproportionately affected by morbidity and mortality than their white counterparts. As a member of the diabetes care team, you play an important role in addressing these racial disparities and in creating health care that is more equitable. April is National Minority Health Month, an opportune time to assess the guidance and resources you need to make the care you provide more equitable. Joining us today is Marianne Strobel, a certified diabetes care and education specialist from Texas. Some years ago at her hospital, she discharged a person who lacked financial options for the insulin and syringes his physician prescribed. Acutely aware of the risk this individual faced, Marianne got creative and collaborated with a new partner to address this gap in care. What followed was a program that reduced the risk of hospital readmission for many others like him and offered a bridge to person-centered, cost-effective, and equitable care. Marianne, welcome to the huddle. Thank you so much, Ben. I really appreciate it. I'm glad to be here. As you stated, I am a certified diabetes care and education specialist working here in Texas. I'm in Houston, and I'm actually inpatient diabetes care and education specialist. So working in that capacity, one of the issues that we recognized a few years ago was uh, the challenges of individuals uh, going home on insulin at discharge and, of course, the cost of insulin. And this is even before COVID hit. And now, of course, things are even more difficult for people with diabetes. But what we had here was a, a patient, a very young man, who had been working very hard to try to help his family and uh, was actually working as a security guard and had run out of insulin and continued to try to do without because financially it was a challenge to purchase it. So he was continuing to go to work as a security guard and with the neuropathy he was feeling in his feet, not recognizing how bad his feet were deteriorating and until it got to the point where he ended up in the emergency room with some very bad foot wounds. We were able to help him get that fixed up and, and get that under control. And it was soon time for him to go home. And his doctor, of course, was going to discharge him again to continue to take insulin. And when I spoke with the patient at the bedside, the patient voiced a concern to me that 
even though the type of insulin the doctor was prescribing was going to be much less costly than the type he was supposed to be taking before, it was still going to cost him about $25. And he was actually starting to cry and stated he didn't have $25 and he didn't and couldn't ask his family to help him because, of course, they were struggling just to make sure that they could you know, provide housing and food for the family. So we looked around to see what we could do. And at that time, we really didn't have too many other resources. We did make the referrals to the low-cost clinics and the other resources that were available, and we did the best we could. But because of that situation, we decided that, you know, maybe we could do something even more. And I had mentioned this sadness of this discharge and my concern for this patient to our hospital chaplain. And together, along with one of our case management transition of care nurses, we came up with an idea that maybe we could get some grant money and start a little program and uh, try to be able to help some people that were in this specific situation. Do you want me to elaborate and tell a little bit more about this insulin voucher program? Well, we'd love to hear more about it. I think, you know, Marianne, when, when I'm talking to you and when I'm talking to other diabetes care and education specialists, what's always, um, what always comes forward is your passion for the individual or your passion for the person, but then how it doesn't end there, how you leverage these stories and these relationships and you leverage them to help other people. So yes, I would love to hear more. Yes, you're exactly right. I mean, it was on my heart and I was very, very sad about this, of course, and worried about this patient. And our transition of care nurse was going to be reaching out to him and be in contact with him. But like you said, we we have a passion. And while we're going to help each individual, we're also concerned about sustaining some new ways of caring and continuing care for our patients. You know, one thing I think about certified diabetes care and education specialists is that we think in the long-term care of the patient. While we may have a moment in time where we're in that direct care for the patient, because it is a self-managed disease, we, we are very, very concerned on the ability and the sustainability of the patient to maintain and continue with that care. And so you're, you're right, we, we decided at that point, even though we were from very different disciplines, all of us, that maybe there was something more that we can do. And I have to really credit our hospital chaplain for really, really thinking beyond his normal scope for coming up with the idea that maybe we could get a grant. And that's exactly what we ended up pursuing. And as a result, he thought of an even different partner, which was going to be a community of faith, to reach out to them, to let them know about this situation. And moreover, the community of faith was actually one of our churches that is predominantly Spanish-speaking, actually located in an area near the hospital. They had such a heart, and they came forward and were able to supply a grant. And then we here had to learn to find some other partners, which in this point was going to be hospital administration, was going to involve our hospital legal department and work with our case management and social work department So, and our pharmacy. It, it became really so wonderful to collaborate with so many different people and different departments. That's what we ended up creating. We created something called the Diabetes Insulin Voucher Project. 
and that's what we're going to be talking a little bit more about today. Well, and I'm I'm super excited to hear more about this and hear about, you know, the implementation. I guess what I want to just take a pause and think about is a word you said a little earlier that diabetes care and education specialists think in the long term. And that's true. I, I you know, that is something I'm going to think about now for the next year. That takes guts, that takes resilience, and that that takes work. What do you think makes a diabetes care and education specialist do this? Think long-term. I think it's because we're dealing with a chronic disease. This is not something that's going to go away. Chronic disease is going to stay. And of those of us working in this field, we recognize that. Many of us, we live with the same challenges of diabetes. I think that a lot of us have been attracted to this this discipline and and this specialty because we either ourselves or have family members that that live with this chronicity. And so we understand very much the long-term, not only effects, but the long-term challenges of day-to-day living with a chronic disease. And so while you can help the person, for example, with an acute event here in the hospital, you know, that sustainability for being able to self-manage and live and live very well with diabetes makes us look to that population health and that long-term sustainability of good care. Yeah, I think it's um, it's definitely a characteristic that's incredibly special, but it also does make me think about bridges, which is what we've talked a lot about Building a bridge to better care, I think, is something we've talked about and uh, that the diabetes care and education specialists can do, and especially with a program like you've, like you introduced and talk about can do. And that bridge is really the sustainability piece. How would you, I mean, maybe talk us through this a little little bit, like what this bridge looks like and how you could sustain these programs long-term. The bridge in this specific case with this insulin voucher program One of the things, you know, getting the funding coming from this church and the church being predominantly in a more prevalent Spanish speaking area of our of our geography around the hospital also looked at, you know, the needs of specific needs of this minority population that suffers from diabetes and any of the challenges that they, you know, may be disproportionately affected. And so in order to build a bridge, Our chaplain, our hospital spiritual care chaplain, actually went even farther. I have a colleague who works with community health workers, and she also works with with other peer education. And I was able, through ADCES, to reach out to her and actually make her aware of what was going on here with this special population and our concern for not only people of the Spanish speaking community, but anyone who had this need and what else could we do? So she spoke with the church, she spoke with our chaplain and they actually went forward and created outpatient diabetes education classes at the church, which were bilingual. So when you talk about a bridge, beside being able to help at the time of discharge with a vial of insulin, syringes, a glucometer and supplies, we were also able to get these patients directly scheduled to attend these free outpatient diabetes education classes that were going to be held at the church. And our chaplain even went forward and became a peer educator himself. Oh, that's incredible. So where did he get his training? So this colleague that I know from ADCES, 
she actually, one of her roles in, in her job is to train community health workers. And she actually has established a partnership with our Institute for Spirituality and Health, which we actually have here in Houston. So many of our hospitals are faith-based systems here in the Houston area, and they have established this collectively. And she already had a program. And so my colleague here being a chaplain was able to plug into that and bring that to his church. And she came to the church and she trained um, church members. And one of those was my chaplain. So that's really cool because they're already, your chaplain's already in the hospital, in the inpatient setting. So how does he or he or she, or even your other community health workers that you work with, how does that partnership work with the healthcare providers or the, the hospital system and the community health network? So our chaplain, our hospital chaplain is, is of course here every day working with the inpatients. And of course, this all happened prior to COVID. So anything else since COVID has, of course, changed a bit. Hmm. But prior to COVID, the chaplain, if he identified any patients that he was providing spiritual care to that may have a need, he would reach out to me and I could either have our inpatient physicians or I can even consult myself here in the hospital. And then I would be able to go over and talk to the patient and, you know, doing our problem solving, which is part of our ADCES 7 see what other concerns and, and issues the patient had. And then I could work with our social work and our pharmacy department and our case management and our tr transition of care nurse. And we could work to get the patient um, into these outpatient classes once the patient was discharged. That's pretty much how we were all working together. As far as community health workers, we really don't have any here in the inpatient, but the community health workers are part of this outpatient diabetes education that's being offered at the church. You know, that's a fantastic model. And, you know, we've um, had many conversations over the past few years about trying to reach vulnerable populations. And how do you do that with, you know, the limited healthcare providers and and then trying to branch out and reach everybody and the people that really need diabetes care and education. And it seems like utilizing this network of community health workers is the way to do it, especially sound, you know, listening to you, you have an incredible network down there. How do you see, this is really interesting to me, how do you see peer support playing into health equity or the community health workers? And what 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 do they do that's special that really can support health equity? I think with our peer support, we can say for the most part, they're really living the same life as the people that they're helping to mm -hmm. teach. And I think that bonding, that level of trust is much more immediate than when we're working as individual healthcare providers, maybe coming from a, a different perspective or a different place. So I think it's that early trust and bonding that's unique um, as, you know, and maybe even living the same challenges that the people with diabetes are, are living with as well. So there's that, that level of understanding. And I think we see this not only with our vulnerable populations, but I think this is one of the things that's why social networking and social media, you know, when it's used in the right way for diabetes has been so popular and so successful. It's because there's that understanding that doesn't have to be explained by people who are living with the same challenges 
and in the same type of space as the people that you're trying to um, to help or educate. Well, and we know with that level of trust, you're more likely to get the health outcomes or the behavioral outcomes that, that you're looking for. So it seems like there's really the potential for high value in partnering with peer support in the health system, would you say? Oh, absolutely. The only caution I have is that you have to make sure that training the trainers, so to speak. Mm -hmm. So when you're working with community health workers or any peers, that you want to make sure that initially when they're getting their training, that they have the correct information. Unfortunately, you can have a situation where, you know, sometimes we also see, and I'll, I'll align this back to you know, social media where there's many myths that can become um, on different social media sites that aren't uh, receiving the benefit of having a professional, you know, overseeing them. So if you're going to use peer support or community health workers, you just want to make sure that everybody has the correct information and not that misinformation could be taught. So that'd be the only thing that I would say that, you know, we as ADCES members and CDCES is that we want to make sure that we're involved in helping to educate and to um, make sure that the correct messaging and the correct information is being uh, given. So I think we all have a role is what I'm saying. I think the professional has a role. I think the physician has a role. I think the community health worker and the patient, I think we all need each other. I don't think there's any one discipline or one profession that can function without collaborating with the others. I totally agree. And it's, it's a system. It's a giant system. But if it's working well, yeah. like a well, a well-oiled machine, you know, but you know, that makes, that makes me think about, you know, what another thing we've talked about a lot is these barriers or these challenges. And so we, we've talked about cost, we've talked about language, are, you know, what are the other challenges that, that the community health workers or, or DCESs might, might run into in the system? Well, there's the how are they going to get transported from one place to another? Just because there's a free class that's being offered at this church, do they have a way to get there? You know, do they have the time to get there? Are these classes being offered at a time where they have to work because they work a different shift? Do they have childcare issues in order to be able to attend? So those are some of the, the issues. And I know where I've, lived all over Texas, and so I've seen many different uh, communities with different challenges in each geographic place. And for example, you know, people may have a car and they may have the time, but they don't have money for gas. So I think you have to look at all of the moving pieces in order to make sure that you can overcome these barriers in order to make it all successful. Well, and that, that reminds me, you've talked to me about and shared your idea of this 360 view of of your clients. And this seems like it, like the perfect time to bring that up. So yeah, the 360 view, I think that's something that's very, very unique to the profession of a diabetes care and education specialist. Not only do we think about the patient you know, during the time that they're with us and what's going on at the moment. But we also think about what's going to happen when they go home and what's going to happen during the days and weeks until they come back and see us or their healthcare provider again. And, you know, I think that 360 view means that we're not only looking at them from a health standpoint, 
looking at them from what their blood glucose control is, looking at them from what medications they're taking. But we're also looking at, do they have a safe place to live? Do they have any challenges with financially with maybe paying their rent or maybe paying their electric bill? Or do they have food in the house? You know, and so while we may not be able to solve all of their problems regarding the cost of medication and supplies, but sometimes we can even refer them to other places and to other resources that we may not have thought about before and still that kind of thinking outside the box. I know with some of the patients that we've dealt with over the years, patients that may have challenges, for example, paying the rent, there are places in the community that they may not be able to help with a, a disease state, but they will be able to help with things like paying rent. And I would tell my patients, you know, if you can get help with paying rent even for one month or help with the electric bill for one month, would that give you enough money in your budget to be able to go ahead and purchase your insulin? If we could help link you with the, you know, with the food bank, um, if we could help get you into a church where they have some other resources, would that help you? And, you know, once you start thinking beyond just healthcare, you might be able to find all sorts of resources that are available, but you have to get very, very creative in your thinking and you're very creative in who can be a partner. Yeah, and sometimes we have to allow ourselves to be creative. I think it's sometimes, you know, we get so stuck in our, um, in our processes and our in, in management that we forget that, you know, creativity is, is the spark for innovation, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, you know, Marianne, we're, we're close to the end here. Um, I want to say I have just loved having you on, you know, talking about health equity, talking about health equity in 20 minutes is, um, is difficult. <laughs> and, 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 I, and I think you brought us through that whole picture of the diabetes care and education cycle and truly appreciate that. Um, you know, what our listeners really love to hear at the end is what they can do or how can they take these, you know, these ideas we've talked about and put them into action. So I would love to ask you as our, you know, some final thoughts here are, you know, what are some steps that our DCESs can do today to make healthcare more equitable for their at-risk populations? Well, I think they need to sit down, put on their thinking hats and brainstorm and really look at their population, whether they're dealing with an inpatient population and the challenges of transition of care, or whether they're working with a clinic population or you know, in other areas, they really need to try to see what are the barriers. Listen to your patients. They're a wealth of information. You know, just um, I heard today that if you could think about the fact that you have two ears and one mouth, that kind of tells you you should talk less and you should listen more. So you should listen to your patients and find out what their challenges are. And then don't think concretely, think very, very broad and really look around and envision what their day is like and what their time is like and what their challenges are like and how can you fill in some of those gaps and don't be afraid to look at different partnerships outside of healthcare. You'll find that if you can relieve some of the other barriers that opens up some new avenues and resources that the patient already has, it's just that they may have to look at how they can adjust within their budget or adjust within their lifestyle in order to make everything work. So I'm, I'm taking away two big things from you here. Thinking in the long term, which you talked about earlier, and then I just love 
two ears and one mouth. I am going to use that all the time. I'm going to use it with my kids. So <laughs> thank you, Marianne, so much for joining us today. We really enjoyed having you on. Thank you so much. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk to you and to talk to all of our listeners. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of The Huddle. Marianne's experience highlights just how important it is for the healthcare provider to first tune into the needs of the individual in order to develop an effective and equitable care plan and get a 360 degree view of the client. And don't hesitate to get creative with your approach and begin to look for new partnerships in your practice. As Marianne mentioned, a community resource assessment is a great place to start. Tapping into new avenues and collaborations can help you leverage community resources to meet the needs of your clients and offer ongoing support. For additional notes and resources from today's episode, check out the show notes at diabeteseducator.org forward slash podcast. And remember, ADCES membership gets you free access to resources, education, and networking that improve your practice and optimize outcomes for your clients. Learn more about what ADCES can do for you at diabeteseducator.org forward slash join. The information in this podcast is for informational purposes only. It may not be appropriate or applicable for your individual circumstances. This podcast does not provide medical or professional advice and is not a substitute for consultation with a healthcare professional. Please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions.